watch the Slack channel instead. Um, the big thing I want to promote today is the upcoming women's retreat, August 26 and 27 at Cran Hill. If you haven't had a chance and you are a woman to sign up and would like to, please do so. Uh, there is a Google form on the Slack channel that you can visit and you'll be added to the email list. An email is going out this week that will just lay out the details. But basically, we're going to go up Friday. We'll meet there around dinner time um, and just spend about 24 hours in fellowship and calming down and really taking the time to be at peace within ourselves and uh, study Jesus and who he is in our rest. So that's the big thing. Um, also, I just wanted to point out that coming up in August, we have a three big events. So just watch the Slack channel. We've got um, a couple different trainings and opportunities to really understand where we're going in the fall with our vision night on August the 10th. We've got children's ministry training on August the 16th. Um, I'm just kidding. Please don't think you're required. Um, I'm going to bring Kate up and have her read our scripture this morning. Thanks, Kate. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Josh. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Let's try to connect after the gathering. Um, it's great to be with you on this rainy morning. Camille and I, my wife, have gotten into this show. It's a little bit embarrassing because it's like technically a reality TV show called Alone. And it's a survival show where people are sent into the wilderness with a, with a few uh, tools to try to survive as long as possible. And the last one standing gets some money. And where we are, we haven't finished the series yet, uh, but where we are in the series, we're on like day 50, and everybody is all about food. There it is. That's the picture. Those are the 10 contestants of whatever season is happening right now, or happened. And uh, they're up in uh, British Columbia on a lake, so it's like cold already, and they're, they're trying to fish, they're trying to get some deer, they're trying to trap, you know, bunnies or whatever, and they're struggling to get food. Uh, it's not like a super fertile place, and they're alone. Uh, they're hungry, they're cold, waking up day after day in a sleeping bag, just waiting, hoping to get a reward. And my favorite part of the show is, just, is that it's been absolutely breathtaking to watch one of them when they get some food, when they finally find an animal. Like one guy shot a buck and he went from having, you know, just like some berries and mushrooms to having a whole buck. And guys, when he shot the buck, you know, it, it like ran away and he's like tracking the blood and he, and he sees it there lying and he just falls to his knees in tears. Oh my God, thank you. Oh my God, thank you. And it shows him like take that first bite of meat and uh, it, was, it, was, it was like a sacred moment. It was like this beautiful, precious moment. And, and it's, I mean, it's so cute because they're like, I don't know if that's demeaning because I couldn't last 50 days, but like another guy catches some fish in a net that he had set and he's just like standing there holding his fish like yes 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 like he can't even talk he's just holding his fish looking at the camera saying yes and I was like laughing because he's like I'm gonna go eat him and he turns the camera off and you don't even see him eat it he's just like I don't want to mess with the camera I don't want anybody else to see what I'm about to do with these fish like I'm just gonna go to town I share all that with you today because King Jesus is talking to us 
about fasting in our text, the voluntary abstinence from food. And I think these moments in the show of finding food after a long time of not eating where the tears flow and the gratitude and whole body relief is palpable to us shows us a tiny picture of what Jesus is trying to hint at in this text. So I'm pretty excited uh, to talk about fasting today, but also a little bit nervous uh, because it's kind of precious to me. For me, in my own walk with Jesus, fasting has probably been the most fruitful spiritual discipline in my life. Uh, I might be overstating it, but it feels like my life didn't make sense until I started a regular rhythm of fasting in my, in my weeks. Uh, so it's a life rhythm that I feel grateful for. Uh, it's, it's opened up connections, ways of connecting to God, of praying with my body that has just been really, really rich. Um, but I realize saying that, like, I feel like it's not that, that popular of a thing. Like, I might have alienated myself from a lot of folks in the room. Because it seems, while on one hand, in broader culture, you know, fasting is kind of on trend, and there's all these health things, you know, like, they, like I, I read somewhere that, like, one or two long, longer fasts a year can, like, reduce your risk of cancer by 60%. Like, there's, like, all this health physiology stuff happening. So it's, like, on trend there, which almost seems to, like, make it less credible in a spiritual sense or whatever, and it seems like from a spiritual uh, lens, fasting in our day and age seems out of fashion because it's some kind of, like, body-denying asceticism or something like that, and so... Uh, depending on where we are in our relationship to food, this could be kind of tricky. If we have a you know struggle with an eating disorder, uh, or maybe you struggle with being overweight, so food and body image stuff is just loaded with guilt and shame. I just go into that to say it's, it's a safe place to be wherever you are in relationship to food. What whatever your response is to the idea of like for Jesus reasons abstaining from food is just like be curious about them. Just be 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 curious about what God might. Be uh, showing you because we we don't have to be lost in trying to figure out fasting for ourselves. Jesus weighs in uh, and and just gives us a a really helpful perspective. And and it's one of my favorite things about following Jesus is that it includes all aspects of our lives. Uh, Following Jesus isn't like going to grad school where you pop in for some like abstract lecture and then go about your life, but instead it's, you know, this apprenticeship where we consider all aspects of our life, our food, which is today, uh, our work, our singleness, our marriage, our kids, our money, our bodies, uh, our relationships, and how they can align. Uh, And and that's that's one thing I love about fasting, is it's so concrete, but it's also what scares me about it, because it's so practical that that it's almost impossible to talk about it without making someone uncomfortable, because food is so central to the human experience, so tied up in, in, in our, many of our deepest needs and emotions. Uh, and I think it's vital that we bring it into our relationship with God. And it, it almost feels in my pastoral experience to stand up and say, hey, you are a depraved sinner that needed the Son of God to be brutally executed on your behalf is like an easier sell than saying like, what if you skipped lunch one day this week to connect more deeply with God. Like, it feels like we're good with some big level theology, but when we get to our daily lives, to our bellies, to our food, it gets uncomfortable. So just be curious about how you respond. If you're uncomfortable, if you're mad, that's okay. Uh, just be, be curious about what, what God might want to do, what might show you in your soul. When memories come up uh, for you or relating to food, or maybe you were in churches that were too heavy-handed around fasting or whatever, just be curious about what God might be inviting you into. So here's the big idea, the main point for us this morning. Feasting and fasting are central ways that we experience the kingdom of God. 
Feasting and fasting are central ways that we experience the kingdom of God. This isn't a feasting text, so we're not going to get too much into feasting, but I want to put it on there because you've got to have both. Like all throughout the, the history of God's people, you have rhythms of feasting and fasting, and they both show us important ways that we experience life with God. And we're looking at uh, a, a part of Mark's gospel where he's continuing to unpack sort of his thesis statement, uh, his summary of Jesus' message from back in chapter 1 and uh, verse 14, where it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And what I want to do is unpack why we talk about experiencing the kingdom of God in our main point. Uh, the good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. It was core to Jesus' message. Uh, and, and, the, and the invitation was to repent and believe it. Uh, repent means change everything you think you know. Turn from your old way of life and enter into this new world order called the kingdom of God. And a working definition of the kingdom of God that I find helpful uh, is the kingdom of God is life with God under the rule of God. Life with God under the rule of God. It's not definitive. There's other helpful definitions out there, but just as like a working definition, I think this gets at a couple very central elements of what the kingdom of God is about. It's a fun exercise as you read through the Gospels to replace the word kingdom with this definition. The time is fulfilled. Life with God under his rule is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And the two main components of this definition are, are, are in the prepositions, the, the, the with and the under. The mind-blowing good news of the gospel is, is what 1 Peter 3.18 says. Christ died in order to bring you to God. The death of Christ and his resurrection uh, is ordered to bring us into life with the almighty God of the universe. This intimate, loving union, seated around God's table as his family. And as his children, we can submit to his perfect, loving rule the way a child might submit to a father's perfect, loving rule. And we can do that with complete trust and confidence because he's the one who invented everything. He invented humanity. He knows our frame. And so part of experiencing the kingdom of God, life with God under his rule, in our current moment, in our current stage in redemptive history, is feasting and fasting. So let's dive in. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came out and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So people are confused because they see a difference in Jesus' ministry. Not only is it John the baptizer, uh, but also the, the Pharisees. Just like common practice amongst religious type people, religious teachers that are, took spirituality seriously was fasting. And I think it's very important to point out the context of this question. As far as we know, this is somewhat in chronological order from the pericope that happened right before it, which was what? That Mark preached on last week. Jesus just left a ginormous feast at Levi's house, eating and feasting with all these sinners. Levi would have been a super wealthy guy that was probably so pumped about meeting Jesus that you can just imagine. This guy knew how to throw parties and had the money to do it and was excited about Jesus. And so you picture Jesus and his disciples walking away from a party that they kind of got in trouble for going to. And the the, the topic goes to, what's all this feasting? Why, Why aren't you guys fasting? 
like all the other religious people do. It struck the crowds as strange. Fasting would have been part and parcel of life in this day and age. The Pharisees, uh, we know, fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And apparently John's disciples, their, their practices were common enough to where it says people came to them. It wasn't John's disciples coming. It was at least right here. It was just people coming. So this was just common. Uh, but it's interesting to note that in uh, the Torah, there was only one day of fasting that was like actually commanded to God's people in the Old covenant and it was on the day of atonement so this twice a week rhythm uh that the pharisees were all about uh was part of the mishnah this the kind of collection of supplemental rules that jewish teaching and tradition that had created i'm not saying it is wrong to have other practices um other than what is explicitly commanded in scripture. I mean, we, we all have to do that, you know, to, to live, to have practices that are not like thus saith the, the Lord. You know, like nowhere in the scripture does it say thou shalt have, you know, a quiet time in the morning. Uh, doesn't command us to read the Bible in the morning. But many, many of us have that practice because of the sweetness of connecting with God in the quiet moments before the day starts. But I'm pointing all this out to say that whenever we're talking about practices not directly commanded with Scripture, we must be very careful and intentional with how we talk about them, way more open-handed and invitational uh, without any judgment of people who do not do them. And the second thing we see about fasting in Jesus' day uh, is that it could be done for lots of wrong reasons. And I'm so glad we're not in Jesus' day where that's not an issue anymore. Um, False. But we see in uh, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, uh, I think this is really profound, fleshing out Jesus' teaching of fasting, where he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There's so much uh, wisdom in this teaching, uh, because he's saying, like, hey, there's a wrong way to do a spiritual discipline. But the answer is not to not do the spiritual discipline, it's to like consider your heart. He's also saying that we do spiritual disciplines for a reason, for a reward. Like the, he's not saying don't want a reward, just, just fast and, and don't seek anything. No, like we, we do these practices because we want reward. And we, we could try to connect with God or we could try to impress other people. Verse 19. Jesus continues teaching, or begins his teaching. He responds to the question with a question. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, Jesus' response is amazing on multiple levels. First, he uses a situation that is almost a joke. Uh, A situation like a wedding would have been the most ridiculous time to consider fasting. We like our weddings in, you know, 2022, but... From what I gather, I I don't think they would compare at all to first century Jewish weddings that were seven days long, seven days of feasting and fasting and dancing, and, you know, maybe they spent less on decorations, and maybe that's a word from the Lord, you guys planning weddings, that you should spend more on food and invite me to the wedding, less on centerpieces. Uh, But I'm in the weeds. Jesus uh, is is almost being funny, like, why in the world would you go to the seven-day rager and fast? Well, the bridegroom is there. You know, like, for us, it might look like, do you fast on Thanksgiving Day? 
Do you have a Super Bowl party without food? Like 90% of the people at your Super Bowl party are there for the food and the commercials. Like no one cares uh, about the game. Like it doesn't even make sense. Like why would we gather uh, if there wasn't food? And he answers his own question. And the words are interesting. He says, while the bridegroom is there, they cannot fast. And he's pointing out that in light of the reality that he is living in, it would be an absurdity for the disciples to fast with him around. But he's also saying something really incredible, uh, really mind-blowing about who he understands himself to be theologically. He's saying that he is the bridegroom, which in the Old Testament to first century Jews who were steeped in the Old Testament was, was a term that God the Father used most frequently. It's very rarely, uh, or I don't think at all, in the Old Testament ascribed to the Messiah. But it's all over the place in just one quick uh, text is Isaiah 62 5 where it says and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so your God so shall your God rejoice over you Jesus is, is, is asserting himself like we can we can kind of brush over this but some of Jesus most audacious like mic drop claims to his divinity to his lordship to his kingship are, are steeped in, in the language of the Old Testament where he's showing that as the son of God, he is of the same nature and being as Yahweh. The presence of God on earth, life with God is here. Verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in that day. The bridegroom being taken away is a pretty jarring image. Because it's not that like, hey, the bridegroom will leave with the bride in a car, you know, with empty cans trailing behind it uh, or whatever. No, it's, it's, it's this kind of striking image of being taken away forcefully. You picture this, this raging seven-day party and then, you know, someone comes in and violently takes the groom away. It's unnatural. It's a tra- tragic way to end the party. And in those days, when the bridegroom is not present, Jesus says, then my disciples will fast. There's a time and place for fasting. It's not always and it's not never. I feel like I'm saying mind-blowing too much, so sorry. But the mind-blowing thing that Jesus is doing here is he's connecting this ancient core spiritual practice with his presence, with his physical presence. He's asserting himself as the one for whom all spiritual practices point to and are centered on and based on and dependent on. I mean, come back next week when we see him present himself as Lord of the Sabbath. It's too much. That's for next week. In this, in this metaphor that Jesus gives of the wedding and the bridegroom, we see that in the presence of Jesus, there is feasting. And in the absence, there's waiting, longing, and fasting. Both of these things are appropriate based on the presence of Jesus. Fasting, there's, Jesus is at the center and fasting is this thing that flexes and responds to the presence of Jesus. How we feast, how we fast will impact how we experience the kingdom of God. We live in the already not yet. This is why, I'm, sorry if it's distracting, I'm including feast in, in our language here because it's not all fasting all the time. Like we have already uh, experienced the first fruits of salvation. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are objectively in Christ and so we can feast. We can raise a glass and feast to the good news that we are in the kingdom. We belong to Jesus as God, in God's family. 
but we're not yet fully living in the kingdom. Our hearts still wrestle with parts of God's rule, and we still struggle daily to really believe that we can experience life with God, that God is with us. And so both of these things, feasting and fasting, point Jesus' disciples to life with him. It's about experiential connection or communion with Jesus. When, when I met Camille, we lived three hours apart. She was in Louisville, and I was in Columbus, Ohio. And so, of course, we tried to visit each other a ton, uh, but, you know, where were we meet and we did a date in Ikea. It was super awkward because she was shopping for a new bed frame. Uh, so I don't, wouldn't recommend that for a second date, but it worked. Um, but, of course, we'd also spend a lot of time... I don't know why I got into that. Sorry. Uh, we also spent a lot of time, what? You know, talking on the phone, FaceTiming. Uh, and then we got engaged. And let me just tell you, thumbs down on long-distance engagement. Would not recommend. Zero out of five stars. But never was there a time in my life when I was so attuned, so dialed in to my devices. Like my phone would beep, my breath would catch. Was it her? It was because my connection to Camille until I was able to move to Louisville and marry her, was aided by these devices. There was a weekend where she was going to come visit me in Columbus, and I was so excited to see her that I moved my schedule around and drove three-fourths of the way to Louisville and like say, hey, pull over at this exit, and I was there waiting for her. And so I could drive her back because I wanted that extra time in the car with her. Now, imagine how absurd this scenario would be if I had met up with her got her into my Subaru, we're driving back in person, and I was still just like trying to text her and like FaceTime her like while I'm driving. It's, it's not even funny. It's just like, what? It doesn't even make sense. The, the image is just abs- ridiculous. Like, why would I be looking at my phone when she's there in the car with me? That's what Jesus is pointing out with this text. When he's with his disciples, it's absurd to do this thing to connect with him because he's right there. The kingdom of God, uh, life with God under his rule is a feast at God's table. But when he's absent in the flesh, of course they will fast. Just like now, you know, I'm married to Camille, but when we're apart, we go a trip or something, we still FaceTime and text and stuff. This passage is, is, is a great, crystal clear explanation of the point of all spiritual disciplines, all spiritual practices, which is communion with Jesus. This is the point of all of them. If you're missing that, then... They're just things that you do, just random things that you do. And if you've been around the church any length of time, you know that I've kind of pigeonholed myself as the spiritual disciplines guy. So sorry about that. But this is why I'm so passionate about them. They open us up to this communion with our king. They open us up to the riches of communion with the living God that Jesus dies that we could experience and the, the connection that, with the one who can satisfy our souls. I feel like Mark is staring daggers at me. So much of the best parts of this sermon are from the preaching cohort this morning, and, like, and half of them are from Mark Bergen. So i gotta cite, I got to cite, cite, cite my sources. Uh, sorry to put you on the spot, Mark. But Mark brought up the, the concept of union and communion, and I think it's a really important dis- like theological distinction for what we're talking about when it comes to, uh, to spiritual disciplines in connection with Jesus. Because union refers to the objective reality that in God's work, through Jesus, applied by the Holy Spirit, we are, by grace alone, through faith, united with Christ, in Christ, seated with God in the heavenly places, period. That's objective. But our communion, the subjective experience of that objective union, is dependent upon us 
showing up to the relationship and engaging with God. Just like in marriage, you can be objectively, legally married, but have no communion. You know, sleep on separate floors of the house and never talk and avoid each other and just, you know, chip in to pay the mortgage. So before we continue in our text, because the desire is further up and further in, deeper communion with the bread of life, I want to do just a little teaching about this practice of fasting. Hopefully we can do some, spiritual, some teaching on the spiritual discipline of feasting, not in this text or whatever, but just know. Celebration, feasting, happy times, on the map. Important part of being a Jesus follower. The first thing I'll say about fasting is this. You don't have to do it. I'm not saying you're in sin if you I'm not saying you're in sin if you don't fast, you know, you're pregnant, breastfeeding, have a medical issue, it's okay. If you're having emotions come up based on past experiences and just don't feel ready to explore this, it's okay. It's just there's space and grace, just be curious about your response. And if someone close to you is interested in trying it, like don't ruin it for them. Don't, you know, come come down with, you know, with, with all the the angst or whatever. Be curious about their experience, and we can learn from each other as we press in. The second thing about fasting is that it is uh, about abstaining from food. There's another spiritual discipline uh, that I also love called simplicity, which has this very broad collection of like practices of abstinence, where we would abstain for a period of time from TV or sugar or coffee or social media or buying clothes or well, all kinds of things. Like it's, one, it's almost a grab bag for any kind of like abstinence. And there's so much beautiful work the Holy Spirit can do through abstaining from some of those things in our lives. I think it's really important to, in my personal opinion, pastoral opinion, to, to keep fasting about food, like not eating. And the reason is that I don't think any other thing that you can abstain from is as central to your human experience as food. It's not an accident that God made us needing to eat. Like we ate before the fall, before sin. And we just don't need coffee or social media like we need food. And so I think we might miss out if we shift focus away from food to other things when we're talking about fasting. Your relationship to food is powerfully influential in your relationship with God. And fasting is a way to explore that dynamic, all covered in grace, the Holy Spirit is drawing us deeper into life with God. Dave Mathis, uh, whose book I think is out on our book table, says, only as we voluntary, voluntarily embrace the pain of an empty stomach do we see how much we allowed our belly to be our God. Which takes us to our next part of fasting, which is fasting is fundamentally a way to pray. John Piper says it like this, Fasting is the hungry handmaiden of prayer who both reveals and remedies. She reveals the measure of food's mastery over us and she remedies by intensifying the earnestness of our prayer and saying with our whole body what prayer says with the heart. I long to be satisfied in God alone. Fasting is a way to physically come home to our longings for satisfaction. And, as a way, and it kind of forces us to pray, cry out those longings to God. It removes distractions that we didn't even know we had when we consider our prayer life. Like how much of our mental space is taken up by when the next meal is coming? What is it going to be? And how much should I eat? And whoops, I ate too much and I feel yucky and whatever. Not to mention the, just the practical time to cook, pack, prepare, eat, etc. 
So during times of fasting, space is opened up both like in our calendar and just mentally to pray more. And those hunger pains become little prayer prompts that begin to, to habituate, form our souls to pour out our longings and desires to God. Satisfy me, O oh God. We're rehearsing that prayer with our hungry bodies and praying hearts. And, and then we wait for God to do that work. And the last thing I'll say about fasting is that fasting is a primary way, a key way to starve the flesh, like the, the ingrained patterns of sin in our bodies, and feed the spirit. Paul is very clear in multiple places that when we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction. When we sow to the spirit, we reap the eternal kind of life. And f- fasting is such a helpful, practical way to do it. This aspect of fasting has been so, so freeing and powerful for me. I'm a pretty like visceral person, like very uh, with strong bodily appetites. Uh, but for most of my life in the church, I tried to wrangle those bodily appetites like with my brain, with like thinking more about things. But when I incorporated my body through fasting into my life and, be, and began to incorporate this, a way to pray with my body, so much changed. Things that I had struggled with for most of my life became so much easier to handle. So if you struggle with any kind of overindulgence, eating too much, pornography, romance novels, any kind of thing, fasting could be a powerful tool to take up in the, the pursuit of experiencing the good life with God that's already yours in Jesus. And fasting, like all spiritual disciplines, is, is just ways we give the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, space to work in our souls. I try to say this every time we talk about spiritual disciplines. It's a sailboat. What can you do to make the wind blow and power the sailboat of your life? Nothing. But you can put the sail up, get it in the water, make sure it's not leaking, and wait. And that is what fasting does. And you, you might get tongues of fire resting down on your heads and clarity about the biggest questions of your life when you fast, or you might just kind of be hangry and try to read a psalm and pray and then eat dinner and move on. Like, it, like, you don't have to make the results happen. It's something that we just show up to and see what God will do with it. So the invitation is to, to try a fast this week. If it's new to you, I'd encourage you to start by just fasting from lunch uh, one day this week. Like, eat breakfast and wait for dinner to eat again. And uh, that's not just like, oh, extra time to get stuff done. Like, I'd encourage you to use the time you would have eaten lunch to, to read a psalm uh, and, and pray and journal. I, I, my favorite fasting psalm, it's actually like a psalm of my life, is Psalm 63, where it says, you satisfy me as with fat and rich food. And just read that psalm and hold that before God. Journal about what you're experiencing. The next level would be to do a 24-hour fast where you, maybe you eat dinner on Monday night, you wait till dinner on Tuesday night to break it. Same thing, use the time cooking and packing lunch and whatnot to just be still and quiet with God. And if you've been at it for a minute now, I'd encourage you to take the next step, doing a 36 to 48 hour fast, which would be like maybe eating dinner on Monday night and then waiting till like breakfast uh, on Wednesday or even dinner on Wednesday. In my experience, going without dinner is a pretty significant deal. A lot of stuff comes out. Like dinner is that end of the day, you know, oasis gets us cozy for bed, and so when we do without that, some, some really significant soul stuff can, can come up. You know, you sit with your family, explain to your kids that you're fasting because you know that God's better than food. And the last practical thing I'll say is that breaking our fast is just as holy and powerful as fasting is. When I come to food again after a fast, the simplest meals is such an extravagance. 
such a renewed gratitude for the food that God has provided. Kind of like people on that show alone, you know, the, the gratitude to God, the, you know, hunger is the best seasoning, as they say. Uh, the joy of eating is so much richer. And so we fast with God and we break the fast with gratitude, knowing that God is with us. Next, Jesus kind of shifts from this topic of fasting to draw some big picture comparisons, some big picture parallels to just what's going on with the kingdom of God and the old establishment of religion. Look at verses 21 and 22. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and then the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. To say it as succinctly as I can, let me quote a commentator. R.T. France says, This shows Jesus' radical message of the kingdom of God and its incompatibility with the existing forms of religion and society. Both parables speak not only of incompatibility, but of the destructive results of attempting a compromise with the old. The unshrunk cloth was something that hadn't been processed to to remove oils and and bleach it. So if you sewed it onto uh, old stuff, it would uh, rip, or you might have had a rip, now it would be a gaping hole because the power of the, the, the cloth shrinking. Wineskins were made out of leather that started out soft, and pliable, but then would get brittle and dried out as it aged. And the fermentation process, first century Jewish fermentation process, anybody? Is that what we were looking for? Well, let's talk about it for a minute. Uh, they, they would do it in vats, ferment the, the grapes in vats, and then they would leave, they strain out most of the yeast and leave a little bit and put it into these pliable, expandable wineskins to let it continue to ferment, ferment until it was ready. And so it would obviously work with a soft pliable, fresh wineskin, but it would blow up an old, brittle one. Jesus is making very clear that you can't just patch a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the kingdom of God, onto what you've already got going. He isn't saying like, hey, just pick and choose, adopt a few of my teachings as you see fit onto the raggedy old cloak of your life. Don't pour fresh, still fermenting wine in a used up, brittle wineskin of your old way of life. I'm doing a new thing. Life with God under the rule of God requires you to let go of what you know. The new wine is for fresh wineskins. The new wine of the kingdom of God is for wineskins that are soft and pliable, willing to be stretched and pulled by something alive and active to make something delicious. What is this new wine, this new fasting? This new fasting in the kingdom of God is based on what? On Jesus in his finished work, the finished work of the bridegroom, the yearning that we feel for life with God, for satisfaction in him, or deliverance from these besetting sins that we've been struggling with for forever that we can't seem to shake. Those aren't just general longings. Like we don't long for those things uh, without hope because we have the first fruits of what we long for. It's already come. The down payment of Christ's work on the cross has been paid. And it's not, I don't think it's random or an accident that Jesus would use these two pictures of garments and wine for the parables of the kingdom. Because both of these things point to what happened on the cross. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And every, every week we read 1 Corinthians 11 where it says, in the same way Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this, covenant is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new clothes, the new garment, the new wine are the salvation of God to everyone who comes to Jesus in repentance to receive for free this robe of righteousness, the wine of a covenant that unites us objectively and once for all into God's family. And so because we can experience the kingdom of God, life with God under his rule now in part, because of what Christ has done, we can fast as we wait for the fullness of that day and we can feast to the glory of God. We, we do a symbol of this each week as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We can come forward like the guy on a loan who just shot the buck with tears in our eyes. Oh my God, thank you. Realizing that God did not spare his son but gave him up for us all so that we could know him. His body given, his shed blood is what our souls ultimately crave. We do this together each week as a picture of a time when we will all feast in the kingdom of God. Fasting will be no more because we will be with our God and Father. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for the splendor of Jesus. We praise you for the extravagance that uh, he would come in the flesh to talk to us on our level about something as practical as food. I praise you that, uh, that this invitation to the kingdom is available to us wherever we are. Father, I pray against any sense of condemnation or burden. Um, I pray uh, when we talk about actually doing things like spiritual disciplines and fasting, would you hold people in their emotions as they consider uh, that invitation? Father, I pray that we'd be a people that loves you more than food, that is, uh, sets our lives up to be satisfied with you the way uh, we are satisfied with food. And you would show us what that mystery means in our daily lives as we go about it. Bless our efforts to draw near to you. Thank you for the objective reality that nothing we do can separate us from your love. Amen.